This podcast is from Christian Chapel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com. We're continuing our summer message series, which is a, a walk through the book of First Thessalonians called Another King. And to, this morning, we're going to look at First Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, and talk about what it means to live with purpose. Uh, it's a, a desire that I think we all have. And what we're going to look at this morning are in these four short verses, how the Apostle Paul shows us that when Jesus is our purpose, it guarantees results in our lives, and it guarantees that we can keep going through every season, no matter how uh, successful or how difficult it might be. So if you have a Bible, look with me at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. If you don't, it'll be here on the screen for you. But Paul writes, You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts." Now, we all, uh, I think, would agree that we want to live with purpose, right? This is, we want the things that we do to matter. We want uh, to be engaged in significant activities. But what you realize that the longer you live is that most weeks, you're not going to cure cancer. You're not going to do something that people write books about. Uh, most of adult life, especially, involves doing fairly monotonous things, right? You go through the same routines, the same things, uh, even if, you know, from, from the outside, you might have a job that other people admire, but from the inside, you know, it's just a lot of the same old, same old, day after day, week after week, and you've got to do these things to keep everything moving. And so we have these desires to do something really significant, something really important, to attach our lives to something that matters, and yet what we find a, a lot of the times is uh, we get to the end of the week and look back and feel like, well, I just did the same thing the week before that. We get to the end of the year and think I did the same thing the year before that. And so for many of us, what we'll try to do then is we will begin to satisfy this desire for significance and meaning in much smaller activities and events. Right, so um, some of you men, especially now, I know there are a few women who you probably take care of the lawn at your house. But for men, especially, this is why we can take so much pride in a, a freshly mowed lawn, right? Because you just feel like you get done. Like for me, I've, I've got my job is a, a mixture of office and personal relationships, and uh, you know, trying to point people to God's eternal kingdom. And so, at the end of a lot of days, I can't necessarily say. This is what I built, right? But when I go home and mow my lawn, I can say, that's what it was long and now it's short. I conquered nature. I win, right? Like, and so it's, it's immensely satisfying and I'm becoming who my dad was because growing up, he would make me mow the lawn and it was a chore to be accomplished, right? And now it is a mountain to be climbed and plant a flag on. Like you got to edge it right, and you got to mow it right, and you judge your neighbors who don't edge it right. You, I mean, you do this, right? And so if you're a student, maybe it's not like you're still in the phase I was of like, shut up, mowing the lawn's dumb, you're giving my dad ammunition that I don't do it good enough, whatever. So, But when you're a student, maybe it's, it's sports, or it's grades, or it's music, or it's performances. Or it's, it's these things in life where we can point to it and say, look, that's what I did. 
Right? That's, that's one of the, the adjustments you make when you come out of school is you're no longer getting a report card every semester. You're not able to point to scoreboards and say, that's what we did. And, and parents, even sometimes you then transfer that onto your kids and you maybe don't have things to plant your flag in. So you're planting it in their sports and in their grades. And we do it with our, our house projects. You do it with the, the house was dirty. Now it's clean. And it just brings this feeling of satisfaction. And we enjoy it. And, the, and there's really nothing wrong with that, right? This is part of how God wired us. He made us with a desire to do something that matters. This is a, a uniquely human characteristic. Like you go home this afternoon, your dog has not spent the morning wondering if his life matters, right? All he cares about is, do I get to sleep? Do I get to eat? Do I get to play? And what am I going to drool on? Right? That, that's the extent of, and if you have a cat, they haven't thought anything because they're barely existent, right? But, uh, you know, you just, these are, these are human desires. God's given them to us. And so we don't reject it, right? And, and in our culture, there can be a temptation to feel like, well, I know I want to matter, but I also know I'm not going to. So I'm just going to give my life over to leisure and to pleasure. And instead of engaging these really deep issues in my heart, I'm just going to binge watch another show on Netflix, right? And, and we just kind of push it down that way, or we medicate it with a hundred different things. But Paul knew about this desire. We know about this desire, and he's writing to the church in Thessalonica to remind them, you were made for a purpose, and Jesus is that purpose. Listen to the, the way he phrases it in verse, uh, I believe it's verse 4. He says, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, We're not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. Paul is is making this point to us, and, and it's really the entire reason he writes this letter to the Thessalonians, is to remind them, Jesus is your purpose. This is what you were created for. He is another king whom you are supposed to give your life to. And so this is the the motivation for Paul coming to Thessalonica in the first place, is because he has given his life over to Christ. Paul doesn't arrive in Thessalonica trying to build a platform or a following or an audience or or anything else. He comes to share what God has done in him. And and throughout Thessalonians, we're told again and again, Jesus is our purpose. We talked about it last week. This idea in in 1 Thessalonians 1-4 that you have been loved by God and chosen by him. Right? This becomes your purpose in life and everything else has to fall underneath that umbrella. Everything else has to fit with that. And if it, if it can't be matched with it, then it must be rejected. It must be moved away from. And this is the whole point of Paul writing the letter to the Thessalonians, is to teach them if Jesus is your purpose, if he is your king, then this is what it looks like to live in his kingdom. This is what you're supposed to give yourself over to. And so your purpose has much less to do with who you are or what you do. And your purpose has much more to do with who you belong to, who you've surrendered your life to, who is dictating the decisions that you're making every day. Paul goes on to show us when Jesus is our purpose, when we have decided to live that way, then the results are guaranteed. Chapter 2, verse 1, he says, You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. Now, we want this idea of purpose and results really are, are bound together. You know, for most of us, we gauge the, the significance of our purpose by the type of results that are achieved, right? So, um, if, if you're thinking, what's my purpose as a parent? 
Well, it's tempting to, to evaluate how well you fulfilled that by how well your kids met certain criteria. Like, well, they, they finished college. Okay, so I, I must be a good parent. They got a good job. They have a little better standard of living than I did when I was growing up. We've succeeded, you know, and so we, we begin to attach all of these results to it. And, and, and the other side of that is then when there are seasons of life where we can't discern any real results, we really kind of feel like a failure. You know, if, if we can't say that's it, that's what I did, if we can't point to it, like, I, I'm convinced that's the reason so many pastors are, are tempted by building projects. Because like I said, we, we, uh, you know, we, we work in a world where much of it, much of our effort is unseen. And so it's at least easy to point to the ability and say, I did that. Now I might have killed the church with debt in the process, but look, I did that. Right? And so we've got this desire for results. But what Paul is telling us is, look, if Jesus is your purpose, he's the one guaranteeing the results, not you. So you can begin to relax. You can step back. Now, again, remember the, the setting in which Paul writes this, the church in Thessalonica. Paul travels there. He begins to preach in the synagogues. He begins to work in the marketplace, and he sees Jews that are coming to the Lord. He sees God-fearing Gentiles who are surrendering to Jesus. There are pagans who are fleeing from idols and turning their hearts over to Jesus. And he, he's in the middle of this really unique opportunity And then after just a few weeks in town, there's a big riot because of the gospel, and Paul literally flees Thessalonica in the middle of the night. So when he's writing back to them, we don't know if he's answering some opponents who said, man, Paul, he wasted his time here. There's nothing to show. He took off. He was scared. We don't know if he's writing to assure himself that, no, something really did happen. Most likely, he's writing to assure the Thessalonians, hey, the gospel worked. The gospel is effective. Now, it might not have had the outward um, signs of success that Paul or others might have looked for. There might not have been this massive, thriving church. There might not have been this great move of God in Thessalonica. But there were believers in Jesus, and Paul says, that's enough. You know our visit was not a failure. You are the result of it. And so he begins to teach us as well that when we are surrendering to the purpose of Christ in our life, the results, and especially the, the, the measurement that we use to gauge those results, is going to be different. We're going to gauge them by gospel standards, not by the standards of the world. The gospel standards always gauge the results by the effect of changed lives. Are people hearing about Jesus Are they getting opportunities to respond to Jesus? Are they becoming more like Jesus? So Paul, for him, he he thinks back to his visit, and it might not have went exactly how he hoped it would, but he knows the results are good. so, So think of it this way. If your purpose in life is Jesus... and he's the one guaranteeing the results are are going to be effective... then just think of the freedom that gives you to live your life for him. Right, because it's no longer on me. And so when Jesus is my purpose, it primarily shows itself in two ways. It shows itself in worship and it shows itself in obedience. And so Jesus is my purpose. I've given my life to him. He's the king I've surrendered to. And so all of my life then is going to be a reflection of my worship of him. When we say worship, we're not talking about what we do here for 15 minutes or an hour. It's not the songs you sing or the sermon you listen to. It's a, a lifestyle that reflects your deep transformation, knowing God is bigger and yet he's here. 
God has a plan and he's invited me into it. And so all of my life then centers around Jesus Christ at the core. He's the foundation. He's the covering. He's before all things. He's in all things. And so I'm surrendering to him. So my whole life is going to be an act of worship. Then the second part of that is obedience. That, that part of my worship is my obedience to him of, well, he's my king. Right? He's, he's the purpose. He's the reason. And so as he directs, I'm going to obey. And so this then begins to remove a lot of the stress and a lot of the trauma. I mean, there's not a week that goes by that I don't have a conversation with someone either from Christian chapel or a neighbor or in our community that, that is struggling in one form or another with this question. Does my life matter? Am I doing what God wants me to do? Like, is this the, the best investment of my life? So you, you'll talk to men or women at times who they've fully given themselves to this career and they're 10 or 15 years into it and they reached where they've been aiming for and they get there and their first thought is not, yes, I've made it. Their first thought is, does this even matter? Right? Is this even significant? Should I be giving my life to something else? Should I be like Paul? Should I sell everything and leave and go preach the gospel somewhere else? Would that really matter then? So my, my prayer for you this week, if you find yourself in that situation, it, there's actually two prayers I've been praying. The first is that if God is leading you in a new direction, my prayer is that he would stir your heart, that he would just keep stirring it and stirring it and stirring it until you know, okay, something has to change here. But the other side of that is that if, if you're where God has called you to be and you're doing what God has called you to do, then my prayer is he'll settle your heart. And because God sometimes stirs that up to move us and to spur us into a new season. But I think there's this other side where we, when we say we want to matter, what we really mean is we kind of want to be famous, kind of want people to know us, we want them to look up to us, we want them to respect us. And, and when we look at the normalness of our life, we realize that's not happening. And so we'll, we'll kind of look for the next most significant thing we need to go jump on. Right, we'll, we'll look for something else that's going to look a little bit better if you post that on Instagram. We'll look for something that's, that feels a little more earth shattering. And, and really what we're doing there is we're not taking time to pray, God, is this your plan? Is this your will? Is this my place to worship and obey? But we're just looking for a place where we can feel more successful, where we can feel more important. But when we begin to live as Paul lived with an understanding that no, Jesus is my purpose. He is the one that's overall and above all and in all. Then it takes the pressure off of me to achieve my results and to trust him to achieve his. So, so here's what that looks like as a, for me as a father. It means my primary responsibility is not to ensure that my kids have a slightly better quality of life than I have. Right? The, the goal of my life is not that one day they'll have a nicer car and a bigger house. The goal of my life is to model for my kids, this is what it looks like to worship Jesus. This is what it looks like to obey Jesus. And I'm going to do my best in all of those areas, and I'm going to surrender to the Lord, and I'm going to have some great moments, and I'm going to have some moments where I mess things up. But every time I'm just praying, God, help me to worship you, help me to obey you, and then I'm trusting you to take care of the results. Help me to teach my children to worship you, to obey you, and then I'm trusting you with the results. And it begins to bring this tremendous freedom to your heart. Because you're not trying to squeeze every relationship and every opportunity for all it's worth to make sure you can climb one rung higher on the ladder. 
But instead, your heart settles and you're able to say, Lord, if this is where you have me, then that's great. And in that season, lunch with a friend, instead of just another thing on the to-do list, becomes an opportunity for you to live out your purpose as the sons and daughters of God. The way that you work becomes not just a way to earn a check and provide for your family, but an opportunity for you to worship and obey Jesus. When we begin to live this way, the results are guaranteed. Now, they're not the results that we want, because most of the time when we want God to guarantee us results, we want him to guarantee us the good life. Right? Like, God, I will, man, Jesus, I will serve you forever, but if you can just uh, help me pay off this house and get that nice car and send my kids to college and have a nice retirement account and a job that I really enjoy where other people look up to me, um, you know, then I will be sure to like hashtag blessed on all of my posts and I'm pretty sure everyone will love you because of it. Like, this is what we want. We want our primary witness to be our luxury SUV with a little Christian fish on the back, Right? Because, man, if people just see that, then they'll want to follow. If that was true, all of Tulsa would be saved by now. I mean, right? Maybe not a Christian fish. Now they're like your church stickers. That's the new version that we put on the back of that, right? And and I don't know. I swear they're, never mind. It's not going to go good. But um, anyway, I think there are churches that only let nice cars have their stickers. You never see a beater with a church sticker on it. Do you ever notice that? That has absolutely nothing to do with what we're talking about. But it's just something I... Like, I'm going to get a bunch of Christian chapel stickers and start slapping on every beater I see around town just to balance it out a little bit, right? It's like you have to have a the BMW SUV to qualify. I don't know. Anyways, that has nothing to do with what we're talking about. But we have this desire that, like, God, the, the best witness, you know, and we try to make this deal with him. Like, Lord, the, the best way I can tell others about you is just to be really successful and rich and good-looking with awesome kids and an adoring wife. And if you can do those things, Lord, man, think of the people that I'll be able to tell about you. Right? But this is not Paul's experience. It's not Jesus's experience. And yet somehow we think it should be ours all the time. Jesus is my purpose. Now he should fulfill my dreams. But again, our purpose is played out through worship, through obedience, and when we do that, it guarantees his results. And his results is that the gospel will be proclaimed and that lives will be changed. Paul goes on to to say it this way, basically, that, that when Jesus is our purpose, he gives us the strength to keep going. Through every season, through every difficulty, and he reminds the Thessalonians of his own story to tell them that. He says, we had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dared tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. Now, remember a couple weeks ago when we talked about the the founding of the church in Thessalonica, we went back and read Acts chapter 17, and it tells that story. Well, if you go to the chapter before that in Acts 16, it tells the story of what Paul is talking about here. He says, look, you know how we suffered in Philippi. When Paul was in Philippi, he was doing the same things he was doing in Thessalonica, the same things he did everywhere. He was preaching the gospel. He was interacting in the synagogues. He was working a job to establish relationships in the marketplace. He was giving everything he could to share the good news because Jesus was his purpose. And in Philippi, he was uh, preaching. There were people who were responding. He was arrested. He was beaten. He was thrown in prison. He was locked in, in stocks in prison and left there. And then an angel comes in the middle of the night opens the doors, unlocks the stock, sets Paul free, 
And so Paul goes back out into Philippi, the same place where the authorities have just arrested, beaten, and imprisoned him. And he go, he, he's miraculously set free. He goes out and he begins to preach the next day. Right? Because he can't help it. This is his purpose. He's not concerned if the result is prison or death or anything else. He's given his life to telling everyone everywhere, you're chosen and loved by God. He has a plan and a purpose for you. And so he just can't help it. And then he comes to Thessalonica. They finally get him out of Philippi. He comes to Thessalonica. He has the exact same experience, right? He's run out of town in the middle of the night and he goes on to the next place and he does the same thing again. Now he's writing back to the Thessalonians and he's telling them, look, Jesus is my purpose and I just keep suffering, right? Paul is not a successful Christian as we define it. For, for many of us parents, if Paul was our child, we'd be having conversations with him of, are you sure Jesus called you to be a missionary? This does not seem to be going well. You seem kind of bad at it, actually. You always get arrested. You always get beaten. You're too dumb to recognize when an angel sets you free, it's to get out of town, not to try to get arrested again. Right? We would push back against this so strong. Just like, Paul, you're, you're a colossal failure. Who's going to want to follow Jesus? All you do is get beaten and run out of town. But Paul writes back to the Thessalonians to tell them, no, 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 you know our story. You know what happened to us in Philippi, and the only thing it did was cause us to come to you and preach the exact same message because Jesus is our purpose, and we can't do anything else. So in Philippi, he's working jobs and he's building friendships and the whole time it's under this umbrella of Jesus is everything. And he's giving himself to it entirely. He's not demeaning his normal work. He's not saying, man, if I wasn't stuck over here making tents, then I could really do something for Jesus. What you see throughout Paul's life is everywhere he goes, everything he does, if he's in prison, if he's making tents, if he's preaching in the synagogues, if he's engaged in other discussions, if he's traveling, if he's shipwrecked, everywhere he goes, Jesus is his purpose. And the results continue to come in again and again and again because he's given himself wholeheartedly to it and he's allowing the Spirit to give him perseverance and endurance through really difficult seasons. C.S. Lewis once said that uh, pain is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. What he meant by that was sometimes God, to get our attention, either allows us to go through periods of pain or he uses just the results of living in a sinful world to grab our attention. That it's in those seasons of suffering and loss, of, of really painful physical, emotional experiences, that we typically are forced to look outside ourselves. And to say, is there something more out here? And so what, what Lewis told us is those seasons are moments where God is just, I mean, that pain is like a megaphone that's screaming the voice of God, screaming the comfort of Jesus into our ears. Now, the other side of that, that I think Paul is pushing us to understand here, and, and he'll do it more later in First Thessalonians, is that pain is not only a megaphone for God to speak to us, but it's often a microphone for us to share the good news with the culture around us. Your success can only lead people so far to Jesus. But when you are faithful in suffering, when you are joyful in affliction, when you are persevering through sickness, in those moments, your faith screams louder than any success ever would. 
Now, these are not, it doesn't make us some kind of masochists who are going out to seek suffering for the sake of the gospel. But it does mean we're realists. And we understand. We live in a world that's been affected by sin. Our bodies have been affected by sin. And so there are going to be times that we suffer and we hurt. We have sicknesses and diseases that we lose loved ones, that we lose jobs, that maybe sometimes we lose homes or we lose everything we wanted. Everything is broken. And in those seasons, as the Lord enables us to remain faithful to him, produces the best witness possible to the world around us. Because the one thing you have in common with every neighbor, with every coworker, with every family member, is at some point they're going to hurt too. And when they hurt, They can see all the ways the world copes with it. And your peace and joy and perseverance shine like a light in the darkness. And so we don't seek it. We don't long for it. But when it comes, we don't run away from it. Because Jesus is greater. Jesus is better. He can not only enable us to endure through it. He can not only save us out of it, but he can use those moments to point others to his activity in our life and his activity in their lives. Now, this type of endurance, you know, it's, it can be easy when you work through a book like First Thessalonians to feel like every week we're just being told, you just need to be more like Paul. You need to be more like Paul. You need to be more like Paul. And we feel like, well, if I, you know, had an experience where I fell off a donkey and God spoke to me audibly and blinded me and then helped me see, then I would be more like Paul. But I'm not. So I guess, you know, we just kind of feel like, well, this is, it's just so far removed. I can't do that. Here's, here's where I want to leave us this morning. Right? When Jesus is our purpose, It's his spirit that lives inside of us. So your ability to live with purpose, your ability to experience his results, your ability to keep going through really difficult seasons, these are rooted in what Christ has accomplished and makes available to you. Jesus is not your role model for endurance, but his Holy Spirit is your endurance. It's his spirit living in you and working through you that enables you to endure. So so this morning, if you struggle to find purpose in your life, then my encouragement to you is not to make a list of the things you want to do. It's not to buy some more books, but it's to sit down and begin to ask Jesus to show you, is this your purpose? And begin to pray that prayer of either, God, either stir my heart or settle my heart. But reveal your will. Stir it or settle it. Show me, is this place, this time, these things I'm engaged in, is this part of your purpose? And if it is, settle my heart and I will serve you faithfully here. And if it's not, if you're revealing that the things I'm giving my life to are not compatible with your kingdom, then show me the direction to go and I will, in worship, obey and follow you. My other prayer for you this morning is if you're in a season of struggling to keep going. Again, it's it's not about, okay, good luck, go try harder. It's about surrender to Jesus. In Romans, Paul says that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead now lives in us. The same spirit that overcomes the tomb, that overcomes sin, that overcomes hell, now lives in us. And so in seasons of suffering and difficulty, it's not about just grit your teeth and try harder. 
It's about to slow down and surrender more. Ask him to come again and to fill your heart with his power, with his grace. Trust that he has a plan and he's working that plan. Believe that even in your pain, God is not only speaking to you, but through you. As we begin to surrender to him, he does what he's always done. The Holy Spirit magnifies Jesus in the world. He draws people to him and their lives are changed just like our lives have been changed. And we get to be part of that process. And sometimes it does mean you're going to get to pack up like some of our our remnant students did the last couple weeks and go to Brazil and be part of this amazing experience. Sometimes it means you're going to go home and do your laundry and get ready for work tomorrow. It means you're going to go back, mom, and, and just keep changing those diapers because that's what God's called you to do. That's where he's placed you. That's what he's using right now to help you learn more about him and help you share more about him. And so whether we're about to do something awesome and out of the ordinary or we're just going back to more of the mundane, we do it with confidence that his spirit lives in me, his results are guaranteed, so I'm just gonna keep going. I'm just going to keep on moving. I'm gonna do it in worship and I'm gonna do it in obedience, believing that, hey, he's got all the pressure now and he can handle it, right? This whole idea of another king is about us recognizing I can't do it, but he can. I can't achieve it, but he has. And so instead of me trying to smash him down into my little kingdom and my little plans, I'm gonna surrender and follow and just let him take care of all the results along the way. So if you'll stand with me, I want to pray for you this morning. Then the band's going to come back and lead us in a final song together. Lord, you see our hearts. You see our situations. God, this morning, I pray for those who are seeking your purpose and your plan. If they've never surrendered to you as their king, Lord, I ask this morning that you would give them the strength and the courage to do that. If they're in a season of questioning, I I pray today that you would either continue to stir their heart or you would begin to settle their heart. Lord, reveal your purpose, reveal your plan, and then help us to walk in it in complete obedience. And Jesus, I pray for those who are in seasons of difficulty. May your spirit come and give them the ability to endure. May your spirit come and not only bring them through it, but show them how you are being glorified in it. Help them, Lord, to not get stuck on why is this happening, but to to ask, what are you doing here, Lord? And as they ask, may your spirit speak. Jesus, we need your Holy Spirit to come and live in us and enable us to live this life that is being laid out for us in the scriptures. We long for it, but we cannot do it on our own. So Spirit, come. As you did it for Paul, as you've done it for so many throughout church history, as you've done it for those who've gone before us at Christian Chapel, we pray today that you would do it again for us. Lord, come and move the mountains in our life. Come and reveal your glory to us. Come and sow the fruit of your Spirit in ways that we could never hope to produce on our own. Jesus, come and do it again. We ask.
ask it in your strong name. Amen. As they lead us in the song, if you'd like someone to join you about specific needs in your life, if you'll head out the back doors and to the left, some of our volunteers will be waiting to pray with you. They would love to to pray those prayers and, and join their faith with you. The rest of us, let's sing this song. It's the one they introduced to us earlier this morning. It's just kind of the cry of our heart of, Lord, just do it again. You've done it in the past. You've done it in the scriptures. Maybe you've even done it in my life. But, Lord, do it again. You are my confidence. You're my hope. I rest in your rule. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Christian Chapel. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com.